Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 101 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is one of the premier coaches in the poker world, but to be a great coach, you obviously should be a great player as well, and he certainly is that too. Once known primarily as an online heads-up specialist, he expanded his skills into high-stakes multi-table tournament play. That's MTTs, and that's boosted his combined live and online career winnings to over $5 million. We're going to chat with him today about his successes on and off the felt and about his new training course on Run It Once. Kevin Rabichow, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. Cool. Got that uh, those dulcet tones. Those like <laughs> you, you talk to a lot of people. You coach a lot of people, and you yep. get the course going. So, have you always had sort of like this? Uh, I guess a voice for radio, something like that. <laughs> that's a that's a fair question. I'm not sure. I've I've had to get used to hearing my own voice because I've been making training content for so long. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that has anything to do with the way that I talk, but um, <laughs> certainly having a, a new mic. Microphone for the course doesn't hurt either. There you go. Yes, always good to have a good mic. You know, you're lucky you have seeming like a, a good, like soundproof room and, you know, like the limits the echo. That I don't have as much here, but we certainly try, guys. Got, you wouldn't, if, if I always joke with people, like, you know, if you're just listening, you can't tell. But if you're if you were watching and you saw the full setup of this room that I'm in, um, you'd be like, oh, look at that shoestring Robbie. Um, <laughs> All right. So as I told you uh, before we hit the record button, I don't know as much about you as I do about, you know, the other hundred or you know, like some of them, like most of the other hundred people I've interviewed here on the Card Chat podcast. So, you know, I just mm-hmm. generally want to you know get to know you a little bit better. Tell us, you know, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And just sort of, you know, we ask, you know, the poker story, are you a product of the moneymaker boom or home games around the kitchen table? Something like that. Right. Yeah, of course. Uh, So I grew up in Chicago. I went to school uh, like downtown, pretty competitive high school. And late, I guess, high school would have been around the time that I found poker. Uh, I was class of 2007. So not quite the moneymaker boom, I guess, but, you know, shortly thereafter. Um, I think I think the first World Series of poker that I watched on TV was the year that Greg Raymer won. So I was I was close. so definitely like me and my high school friends played a lot uh at at some point i think i moved into a new house when i was 15 and like we had space to host my friends and somehow we inherited a poker table from my grandfather so like that was the the thing that we did when we hung out at my place was we played poker even if it was just for pennies uh-huh. um so I, so i certainly was taking it pretty serious by the end of high school i i went to the university of chicago and right. and once i started college there that was um kind of the time that overlapped with me taking poker, I guess you might say like professionally, right? Like I, I wasn't really playing full time at that point, but whenever I wasn't studying, I was playing poker and, um, made decent money at it leading up until black Friday or so, which uh-huh. happened to be the year that I graduated. Okay. So and you got like a, an economics degree. So, you know, you had, did. right. So the, my question is, you know, not everyone who goes and, you know, a university of Chicago economics degree can open lots and lots of doors. Did yeah. you have sort of like a, a path that you thought you were going to take before you said, hey, maybe let's do this poker thing for a living? Yeah, there there were a few. I don't know that any of them were like extremely well-formed in my mind. Um, 
a few opportunities came up. The first of which I, I think I had an idea that I wanted to be an actuary or that I wanted to work in like, I wanted to work with numbers. I guess that was, that was my first inclination as I started to explore things in college. And, um, that was what I was strongest at, like mathematics and stats and that kind of stuff came pretty natural. That's why I was studying economics. But I, I, I started to get into what actually it took to become an actuary. Like I, I signed up for the first exam and I got the study materials and I was like, I hate this. And I just, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even take the first exam or maybe I took a practice test or never took the first exam. And then I think after that, I got the idea I wanted to be a day trader and I spent, um, about six months in Las Vegas. I actually took time off from university to go to Las Vegas and work for a day trading company. Um, which like, I, you know, in hindsight, I think I only wanted to go there because it was Vegas and I was playing uh-huh. poker and like, that was an opportunity to take time off from school to focus on something other than school, you know? Uh-huh. Sure. It's got that so, appeal, yeah. the bright lights, the glitz, you know? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't even 21, so I couldn't even really oh, gosh. gamble. Like it was, <laughs> uh, but you know, point, point being, I think I was half-heartedly exploring those career options. I, I think poker was the one that, that had my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my my friends and, and my partner like to make fun of me for, for never having held down a real job. Uh-huh. Although that's, that's no longer true. I, I worked in a, uh, in a catering company in 2019. Uh-huh. So I've now had, I've now had my first real job. Well, there you go. Well, we'll talk uh, about, uh, you know, Kevin Rabichow, yeah. the foodie, uh, as well, <laughs> later on in the show. Yeah. Um, Okay, so usually, you know, typically uh, most professional players worth their salt, you know, they track their results, uh, you know, they take notes, all that sort of thing. And, you know, you got to treat your poker like a business. When did you sort of make that switch and and realize, okay, you know, if I want to be professional, I've got to treat it professionally, Um, you know, and also when, you know, did you get family support for that sort of a thing when they saw that, you know, you're doing things the right way and, you know, making a living from it? Yeah, I I almost think that I got into that like surprisingly early. Mm. I I was I this reminded me of the fact that I was like somewhat embarrassingly tracking my results in that like high school home game that I was awesome. talking about. So <laughs> I was even keeping track of like wins and losses against my friends for like five dollars at a time and and taking pride in the fact that I was coming out ahead so often, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um I think I think like treating it professionally was somewhat second nature to me and 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 i guess for some of the same reasons you know my my parents put a lot of trust i think into into my decisions or my process and um i mean from from the time that i was first playing poker to the time that i actually said like yeah i'm not going to get a job like there were quite a few years for them to get used to the idea that i was playing a game and i was pretty good at it right um because i did finish university right i didn't i didn't drop exactly right so the, that might have helped kind of ease them into the idea that I could do this for a living. But yeah, there wasn't really much of a, a, you know, maybe they had some hesitation, but there wasn't much of a back and forth there. It was kind of just like, I graduated. I can't play in the US on the internet anymore. I, I think I'm just going to go to Canada. And they were like, okay, like, we'll we'll see how it goes. And just kind of, you know, I gave them more reasons after that, I guess, through sure. success, <laughs> to, continue, to continue to agree to to the decision I had made. For sure. So, so how is it that uh, online poker is specifically what appealed to you? Because you know, yes, a lot of folks, you know, professionals, they did move to Canada, to Mexico, you know, once uh, Black Friday hit, places where they could play, uh, and others just, you know, said, okay, you know, that's it. I'm going to switch to live poker. You didn't do that just yet. 
so, you know, why, why did you feel like, okay, online poker is my thing and I'm going to double down on it? I mean, that's, I, I played, I guess, a little bit of live poker, but like, that's where I learned the game. I, I played online, um, technically for like five years before having to make that judgment call about, you know, how I was going to pursue professional poker. Right. Uh, and all of it was online basically. So I, like I was big into the two plus two forums. I used a lot of training resources. I was, I was very much immersed in the online community of poker. Mm-hmm. When I went to casinos, it, I don't know. This has changed now, but like at, at the time it wasn't, it wasn't my job. Like I, I didn't think about going to the casino as, as my eventual career. Uh-huh. Um, I would go as like a trip. I would, I would go, I guess I lived near uh what was it? Soaring Eagle Casino in Michigan was, was the first casino I ever went to uh, when I was 18 because uh-huh. you could, you can play right. uh, on the reservation when you were 18. And yeah, I mean, we like me and my high school buddies, we slept in a van like I, I think I lost 200 bucks and that was probably way too much money to lose at that time. <laughs> so I, I wasn't treating that professionally, but then I would go and I would play like five cent, 10 cent on full tilt poker. And I would, and I would meticulously track my bankroll and I would, right. you know, I'd have poker tracker going. So sure. uh, online was kind of always the professional game um, in my mind. Sure. So why, uh, I mean, you originally started uh, as a heads up specialist. So you know, that's obviously a, a very, you know, narrow niche uh, of poker to specialize in. That's yeah. not the same as those high school games. It's not the same, you know, you know, as, as sure. people starting out with MTTs. So why did that attract you? And why do you think that that's where you specifically found success in the beginning? Yeah, it, I guess it's not clear to me why um, why I was able to find success there. Mm. I mean, other, other than just, you know, maybe some innate skill sets or maybe some just the the environment of the game at the time was was quite profitable, but the, every game was quite profitable. So I, I don't know that that's it either. I I found the game primarily because a good friend of mine, uh, this guy Dan, who who doesn't play professionally, um, he was playing it at a time when we like me and my small circle of friends in high school and in college were kind of getting excited about poker, uh, and he was playing the biggest stakes of any of us. Like he was kind of. I don't want to say like the leader of the group, but maybe the, you know, the person kind of driving the direction of, of what we were paying attention to, uh-huh. um, in poker. And, and he started playing it. I don't know why, uh, um, I should get back I in touch with him and find out why he, <laughs> why he found heads up poker over other formats. But yeah, it was just like, it looked like a lot of fun. Um, we talked some strategy and then again, there was like its own section in the two plus two forum. So mm-hmm. once I got interested in the game, it was easy to find a community around that game. And the first year that I went to the world series of poker, which was 2011, um, I stayed in a house organized by like the heads up, no limit forum on two uh-huh. plus two. Uh-huh. And there were like 13 of us or something in, in this house in Vegas. Like I'm 21. It's my first time playing at the world series and I'm surrounded by heads up players. So right. I guess after that experience, it's, it's no surprise that it sort of stuck. Um, that was probably only one or two years into, into me playing heads up. Sure. So where did you find the most joy there? Was it the community what you know, like you know, you had your your heads up people. Was it the money you're winning, or was it just you know, I love numbers and like a video game. You just want to you know be the end boss. I, yeah, I I do think it's the community for me. Mm. Like I I am someone I've I've spoken about this. I guess in like uh, almost not like coaching material, but almost like suggesting kind of approaches to professional poker. Like mm. I I I was not often someone who 
chased EV for the sake of EV. Like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't someone who put in like the long hours and tried to move up to the highest stakes and and was always like aiming for the biggest dollar amount. I was, mm-hmm. I was very much like, I don't want to say risk averse, but, but I guess like balanced in, in the fact that I also wanted to enjoy what I was doing and also okay. wanted to, to, you know, think about, um, avoiding burnout and, and things of that nature. That was like, I don't know, strangely important to me, even, even early on. Um, so I think like for sure, at, at least with the two plus two forums, I wasn't like, I wasn't on there posting every day because I love to give away free info or, or that I thought it was helping my game necessarily. I think I just enjoyed, um, community around, around a game that I was like interested in. Right. It, it was a, it was a cool, like intellectual exercise. Um, I think that's also what drew me to coaching, like all, all the same reason, right. You get to meet people, you get to help people. Um, but there's something more than just like playing for the dollars. There's, right. there's a, there's an interaction around the game and and what you're doing. I think what you're saying definitely resonates, uh, you know, with 300,000 members of the cards chat forums as well. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. definitely there's a lot of, you know, we're not all necessarily crushers and, you know, kicking all the, the all kicking all of our opponents yeah. butts at the tables, but there's definitely that sense of, of community uh, that's pervasive mm-hmm. on the forums. And, you know, of course, among our listeners here on the podcast as well. Um, okay. So let's talk about a little bit further about that joy of the things that you remember from those early years before you had your, you know, your big six figure scores and stuff, what do you consider to have been sort of your proudest moments or your biggest accomplishments? Hmm. Uh, it's a good question. I mean, like if I'm thinking about the, like the times when I was enjoying the game the most, the time, like the memories that kind of stand out they're they're often around like, like the intersection of a, of a success in poker and like, other people um mm. kind of working towards the same thing right like other other people who i was with i mean i i got i had the opportunity to travel a lot um for poker even online poker um mm. so a number of of i guess what you call them like working vacations stand yeah. out in my mind where i'm like not only did i have you know a 50k month or whatever playing online heads up but i was also in new zealand oh, with like nice. one of my best friends you know and so like having that that cool intersect of a very memorable vacation and also success happening like in, in overlap, um, is a lot more, it it just stands out to me more than, than something like, you know, the biggest score I've ever had or the, Uh or the biggest tournament win, you know, those things are, are valuable too. But, um, yeah. So I, I think about like (laughs) essentially two years of, of playing heads up online with like the same three or four guys who I, I rotated through roommates in, in Toronto when I, um, when we first moved up there and like, none of us had incredible success during those years, but there's uh-huh. just lots of like little, little moments of, you know, you play a 12 hour session against some crazy opponent and you finally stack them. And <laughs> it's, uh, as a heads up player, that's, um, it's a unique feeling. I think you, you very, very often are, are focused, um, solely on the, the goal, singularly on the goal of, of winning all the money that's on the table, right. which is different from like, I guess it's kind of like winning a tournament, but it's just so much more achievable in a heads up game. So it's sure. like, you get, you get that quite often. So like little, little hits of that. Um, I can just remember a bunch of different iterations of that, but, uh, like I said, with, you know, with my old roommates or in different countries or whatever, like that's, that's kind of what stands out. It's pretty cool, you know, like uh, those of us who have been in poker for a while, even, you know, just fans who are into it and watching, you know, a lot of it just looks really cool. You see those who've been super successful, you know, 
you know, millionaires, that sort of thing. But also those who make a living playing professionally, you always say it's a tough way to make an easy living. But, you know, you are, you know, quite frankly, among one of the more successful pros there are. And you have been, you know, since your 20s and you're talking about, you know, getting to go to New Zealand. It's a tremendous blessing to have that sort of freedom, uh, that sort of lifestyle, be able to do what you want, where you want, while you're engaged in a game that you love so much. When Mm -hmm. you encounter other people, you know, in the supermarket or in the coffee shop, whatever it is, they ask you, oh, you know, strangers, oh, what do you do? What do, you, what do you sort of tell them? Because it's, you know, kind of interesting to anyone around the world. Oh, this 20-year-old yeah. guy, you know, like living a life of leisure, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that that always changed. Like, what I'm sure the way that I approached that when I was younger is different from what I do now. Okay. Um, I remember I remember having that conversation with a lot of my peers, mm. like, earlier on, because I, I, th- I think that was... A frequent point of discussion is like, how do you avoid the topic of of being a poker player? And part of me is like, why are we trying to avoid the topic of, okay, of yeah. being a poker player? But I I get it. Like sometimes you you get into it, and all of a sudden it's a one hour long conversation about mm. you know some really mundane thing. You know, there's there's a a knowledge gap between right. the the lay person and, sure. and the professional. Um, so it can be exhausting to, to bridge that knowledge gap. I guess I just got used to it. I don't know. Or, or I just found like the right answers to those questions after, mm-hmm. after saying like, I'm a poker player a bunch of times. Right. Um, and how more recently I, yeah, yeah I kind of lean into the coaching part mm-hmm. a little more, partly because that's just true. Like yeah. partly because I, I coach just as many, if not more hours than I play in, in recent years. Um, but also partly because it's, I think, a more relatable conversation for for a lot of people. And it's just what I want to talk to them about, right? Like I I like talking about, you know, teaching or coaching or or whatever variation on on educational um content or you know, there, there's people who can relate to that. They they have a streamer that they know, they have a con, you know, they they follow YouTube channels. There's there's just more ways to um to have an interesting conversation there. For but sure. Sometimes they just want to talk about what gambling's like and what going to the World Series is like. And I'm I'm happy to do that as well. Understood. Well, we've got plenty of coaching questions for you there up next, but I did have one specific question. Uh, because you moved to Canada, you were in Toronto for a number of years now. You said uh, you're in Ottawa, the Canadian capital. Um, we know now Ontario is this uh ring-fenced uh jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Uh just you know, curious to, you know, you don't I don't know that many people who live there who, who've been, you know had to deal yeah. with this specific situation, you know, just to hear your thoughts about it. Is it good, bad, why, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it had a very specific impact on me this past weekend mm. because, because I wanted to play in the, in the WCOOP main event and the, mm. um, and the party poker millions. And those, those uh, networks are not available to me at home, but they are available to me if I'm able to relocate to Quebec, for example, which uh-huh. is a, quite a short drive from from Ottawa. Uh, so, yeah, I guess first, just to answer the question of like the the overall impact, um, what I saw was was in I guess in spring, right around the time that like the spring series was running on on Stars and on GG, there was word of of certain sites migrating to this closed off Ontario only network. Some sites completely ignored it. Some sites just didn't even, you know, breathe a word about it. So sure. I guess it's business as usual for them, but a lot of the major players, you know, poker stars, party poker, 888, GG, they all announced some kind of intent to make their own Ontario only platform. Yep. Um, so 
for me, it means I just don't really play that much. Mm. That was already kind of the case to to some extent because of my coaching business, because I've been traveling again. Like right. now that there's fewer travel restrictions, I went to the World Series and stayed the full seven weeks. Like when Florida runs a WPT, I'm usually there. Right. There's there's more um, live tournament opportunities for me. But I still really like to play the series. I still really like to play the occasional Sunday. Um, it, it looks to me, I, actually, I believe it's tomorrow that GG, uh, well, you know, September 30th, depending on what day you're listening to this, uh, that, that GG is switching to WSOP.ca. Uh-huh. Uh, so GG until now, I could have, I could still play on GG and I played the occasional, um, you know, tournament weekend or series on there uh-huh. in the meantime from home. But now I'm just, yeah, it feels like I'm back in 2011. I'm thinking about, okay, can I set up a secondary office in Quebec and travel there when I want to play? Or, you know, can I, can I get a house shared with some other people and and set that up as my address and then travel there when I want to play kind of thing? That's, that's sort of what it's looking like, but really it just discourages me from playing it. Mm. It, it means I probably won't be in those big online events that, all that often. Yeah. Obviously the major difference is just, you know, liquidity, number of players who are, you know, there and the thus the size of the fields. With that said, you know, the, the flip side yeah. of it is, you know, as far as I've heard from a couple of people, um, quite a few overlays in the, the tournaments. So, you know, what, what is, what's the, yeah. it's like the player experience for you within the Ontario regulated market? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point that I, because I've chosen not to really play on the Ontario sites, I, I was ignoring the facts. Like I've, I've heard from, from students and from friends that, um, that the games are still, they still run, you know, they're not what you're used to. They're not the big blowout, you know, million dollar Sunday kind of, kind of tournaments, but there's still games running and and there's still very likely a good ecosystem there. Yeah. Um, and like you said, overlays because they're, the sites are trying to be like first movers in, in accumulating, you know, regulated customers in, sure. in Ontario. Um, so I know that like party poker in 888 in particular, the very first day that Ontario was open, they were there. Um, yeah. they were the first two sites to, to move to the Ontario only site. And, and I think as a result in like April or whatever that was, there was just huge overlay every single day on those two sites because they were almost competing for, you know, Ontario players, yeah. um, or in the, in the early stages. I don't know what that looks like now. I guess I, I am curious to see what the WSOP site will be because that's the first time there's a WSOP brand in Canada, cool. um, online. So I'm in, in terms of volume, I'm a little more optimistic about that site compared to the others. Mm. Uh, that said, you know, depending on what you're playing, you might be perfectly happy with the Ontario only sites. Or, right. It's yeah. just always uh, interesting to get that insight on you know, a kind of a, relatively unique perspective within the poker ecosystem right now. Um, all right, let's switch gears as one does uh, at the poker tables as well. Uh, you've uh, been a coach for over 10 years now. How did that first begin, uh, that transition from just playing into, oh, I'm liking this coaching thing too? Yeah, yeah. I I was trying to to remember recently like what – I guess my first coaching gigs were like, you know, my first students or like what I was doing there. I, I think it was kind of informal when I, when I got started. Um, and I think it was just because I was someone who like contributed to forums frequently and, and wrote my thoughts publicly frequently that, that I started getting people to privately request coaching. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now that my platform is bigger, that happens more frequently, but, sure. but early on there, 
there would be the odd person who just says like, Hey, you know, you seem like, you know what you're talking about and I'm trying to get better. Can you help me? So like, I, I liked that. Um, I mentioned my, I guess, competitive schooling because I've come to the conclusion that that had some influence over Mm -hmm. like the way that I approach my job now. Um, which is that like, yeah, like doing rigorous preparation is not unusual to me. Right. Or, or having organized processes for, for solving a problem. Like that's, that's something that I got used to when I was younger. Um, so I think that may be better prepared to be a coach now. And it, it's just like, there's, there's not as much friction there for, for me to get started with those things. A new, a new program comes out and I'm like, sweet, let's learn how to use this. And within two days, I know how to use it. Uh Um, so that's, that's the type of learner I, I am. And I like to share that process, um, with, with people who it doesn't come so naturally for. And yeah, I mean, the, like creating content really was, is the only reason that I'm getting those requests more, you know, now than I did 10 years ago. So, you know, going from two plus two forums, I, I later joined, um, the training site heads up sit and go com, And I made a couple of heads up training packs for them. That was like 2012, 2013. And then in 2014, I switched to, to run it once I started making regular content with run at once. And, and they've kind of, you know, I've been with them for eight years now. So, right. uh, all of my all of my content goes there, right? And you know, the, of course, you know, if, uh, if you're not on Run It Once, you could also go to kevinrabbitchow.com. You've got uh, quite a lot of good material there. You know, we we we, loved, we tried to do our research, um, but uh, what did I want to ask you? I had a follow up there. Oh, right. Okay. okay. So often I talk to people, you know, professionals as well as amateurs, and it's undeniable that you know how and how swiftly. Uh, you know, you know, just and to what extent poker itself has changed. The game has gotten so much tougher. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about Texas Hold'em specifically. Um, yeah. By the same token, you know, you've been coaching for ten years. That's uh, you know, standing the test of time. You're still doing it. You're still loving it, and you're still being approached. You got tons of students. How has your, if at all, how has your methodology changed? How has what you've been uh, imparting to your students changed over these last ten years? Yeah, this, I guess two things come to mind because there's been a a fairly big shift, not only in um, how I'm coaching, but also who I'm coaching. So, so the, the, who I'm coaching, I guess, is important to point out to, um, to explain the, the method. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before I was publicly advertising coaching, I was only being approached by people who knew me by reputation. So So someone who would know an online heads up player by reputation is an online heads up player, basically like there's, there's no visibility to that part of the poker community outside of that community itself, pretty much. So, um, I would get, you know, somewhat frequent, but, but not all that frequent requests specifically from heads up players or from other online players who wanted to play heads up and that was it. So my, the method was relatively easy. I mean, I know the game, I know preflop, I know flop, I, I can I can just kind of walk that person through whatever part of heads up it is that they're struggling with. Um, so it was very strategic in nature. I guess fast forward to let's say like start of COVID when when I was uh, not only promoting my coaching more but also getting a higher volume of requests, presumably mm-hmm. because everyone's locked in and you know finding time to work on their game. Mm-hmm. Um, the the variety of of the audience was was much broader, right? So, so now I'm getting requests from online players of every format, uh-huh. 
and I'm sure part of this is because I'm also playing other games, right? Like I, right. I had also started playing live tournaments and I had some success. I had started playing online tournaments and had some success. Uh, so I'm getting requests for three different game formats. I'm getting requests from live players. I'm getting requests from amateur players. And, and this, you know, it, it started to make me recognize like, okay, I can't just jump in and teach what I know because everyone's starting from a different place. So my, my coaching method became a lot more um, procedural. It, it became a lot more like, okay, well, first things first, we need to get to know each other. Like, let's, let's do some kind of review, what either your database or just like a, or a plan explain, like a conversation, some, something to help me get in your head and figure out like, what are we starting with here? Right. Um, and in doing so, I can, I can build some sort of plan, right? I can say, okay, well, usually players who are, who are struggling with this concept, you know, need to go to that tool over there or they need to, um, I think you get the idea. Like it, it, it was less, it was less about me, um, presenting like, a uh, like a Ted talk, like here's, here's an expert, you know, of heads up, no limit. And here's all the thing, you know, top five things you need to know about heads up, no limit. Like it wasn't sure. like that anymore. Sure. Um, it was, it was a lot more interpersonal and it was a lot, is a lot more of a, of a learning pro I guess as a coach, I had to learn more like about the person that I was uh, working with. Must feel pretty good uh, to get, you know, such great feedback. And obviously, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding when you keep getting approached by more and more people and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I'll even say as well, uh, you know, there's a quote uh, from, uh, you know, on the run at once site from Phil Galfond. He was our guest uh, episode 87. If, uh, you know, you guys haven't listened to that one yet, another great episode here uh, on the Card Chat podcast. The quote from him is, I've watched more videos from Kevin Rabichow than any other coach. His ability to distill complex concepts into easily understood lessons makes him one of the best teachers in the game. So, you know, sort of a two-parter, like from your students seeing that snowball grow, but also from, you know, someone who perhaps is, you know, universally regarded as like, you know, one of the goats out there from yeah. Phil Galvin. What does it feel like to get that sort of praise, that sort of following? Yeah, I mean, really cool. Like, uh, <laughs> I, he, he said that in a couple different ways now, I, but I remember the first time that I heard him kind of, you know, just compliment my videos basically. And it, I mean, it feels good, obviously. I've, um, I think prior to that, I made videos with Run It Once, maybe for four or five years, and like not really thought too much about it. Mm. Like I, I wasn't necessarily going in and thinking about like the quality of my product. I was just mm. I was putting out. I, I was I was playing full time, so I was recording and putting out content and just kind of whatever it is that I'm working on here it is, or like whatever's on my mind right now here it is, and, yeah. and I wasn't you know sitting and reflecting on like the quality of that product or thinking about okay what's my you know career or future look like as a coach in this game. I was just going through the motions. Um, I think when he said that the first time I was like, oh shit, like, I need, like there's, <laughs> there's something here, I guess. Like it didn't, like, it didn't really hit me um, that I had been successful at this until, huh. until someone, you know, who's so obviously successful in that industry just like right. slaps you in the face and says like, Hey, your product is great. Wow. It's like, Oh, <laughs> so you, cool. you sort of feel so, like you have to, I don't know, live up to something more now or improve <laughs> more like, um, I don't, I don't know if I, I haven't given that much thought. I, my instinct is to say, no, my instinct is like that it, um, it's just a kind of validating feeling, right? Mm -hmm. To 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 encourage me to continue doing whatever it is, and like maybe 
maybe even a little bit of the opposite, maybe even just to like trust whatever I come up with as like a, if I come up with a product that's like a little strange, which I think my course is honestly a little strange. Like when when I come up with a product, I just, I just kind of trust that it's a good idea because someone, you know, in in that kind of position trusts that, um, that I make good content and I have good instincts for this stuff. So yeah. uh, Yeah. It's, it's more encouraging. I think I haven't, I I, I will give that question some thought though now that, now that you've <laughs> we'll give you the time bank for next time uh, you're on the yep. show here uh yeah, no, we yeah. will get into the course a little bit we got some more like get to know you type questions uh you know coming sure. uh, off the felt uh that are coming up but i did you know like as you're talking about it as you're into the coaching i kind of have to add like i'm like i wonder what his answer is going to be because i really don't know at this point you know, when you're doing one-on-one coaching with someone, you know, at the highest levels, it's known that coaches can charge, I don't know, between, let's let's just give a range, I don't know, between $500 to $1,000. Like, that's not unthinkable in terms of rates for, you know, with a value of mm-hmm. your time. So let's just take $1,000, nice round number. What feels better to you with everything you've done? You know, receiving the payment of $1,000 after doing a coaching session or winning a $1,000 pot? Because you outplayed someone or, you know, you just did very job. Oh, interesting. What feels better? I mean, in the moment, winning the pot feels better, I mm-hmm. think, for sure. Like, it because you, you get that, like, the pain, it, I don't know. I, I do love coaching. Like, don't don't get me wrong. But but the competitive part of me, like, those, those individual moments of winning a hand, um, making a good decision, being rewarded for a good decision, right? Like, it's it's hard to top that. Mm-hmm. Um I have to I have to give the edge there to the instant feedback the <laughs> the in the in game I think, I think I would even say that for a smaller amount of money like I would I would say that winning winning a $500 pot probably feels better than receiving a $1000 coaching payment. Okay, that's that's fair. That's interesting. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I would like I'm not saying I would choose it. Like I would right. <laughs> right. but it feels I think it feels better. Okay. Well, you know, as you know, you, we know this is as parents, as teachers, that sort of thing. When you see your kids, your students being successful, you know, when they're winning titles, you know, not not just you know testimonial on your site, but when you literally see the results of you know that, and they're saying, "Oh, it's because of what Kevin taught me." You know, how does that make you feel? Those those are great. Like those are those are hard to describe. Like I. I've coached a lot of people. I still haven't received, you know, so many of those interactions. Like, so, it, so it's still quite novel to me when you uh-huh. get that, like, like, here's the graph of my year. Like I'm thrilled. And it's, you know, it's because you helped me figure out what I was doing here. Like, yeah, holy shit. Um, <laughs> it's a, that's, that's separate. I would, yeah, that's, that's a really excellent feeling. Cool. Well, I'm sure that lasts uh, a lot longer than just that adrenaline hit. Also, just that when it, the it does, because when you ask me that, I can actually think back to like five or six specific people who mm. who had that interaction with me, and I can't remember the last five hundred dollar pot I played. Yeah. In. <laughs> <laughs> Very. Okay. Cool. That's great. Wonderful. Um, on your website, just so sort of related to the coaching, uh, but I'm curious here. Uh, you write, "I'm an avid ultimate frisbee player and coach." This is a hobby that's proven quite valuable to my growth as a coaching professional. I don't necessarily see the connection there. Can you bridge that gap? (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Um, Yeah, so I don't, I mean, I I will start by saying I don't know that I'm a particularly good Frisbee coach, (laughs) but I I have done it. Okay. for for a number of years now. I mean, the team that I coached for asked me back twice. So I okay. guess that means something. At least they thought that I was a decent coach. Uh-huh. Um, 
but yeah, I I think the the main um there there's a bunch of little random things that I could pick out about, you know, coaching sports that translates over to poker that was interesting to me, like to make to make connections between physical sports and and mind sports, I guess okay. if you will, but but really what I was thinking about when I wrote that um was was primarily like the group dynamic of of for example, running a practice in comparison to having like a conversation because a lot of poker coaching happens in in these one on one conversations, yeah, and that's just by that's just structural like that's not really a choice that I made um that's just what coaching was right, right? uh as far as I understood coaching up until I started coaching sports, it was just you get on a call or you you know or you are texting if you know if it's before the video call era or whatever it is that right. you do. You sit down together and you, and you're just one on one having a conversation, working on some material together, and that was it. Like that was coaching. Um, what what running practices introduced to me was the concept of like designing drills and like speaking oh. to a team and this this more like the the sport environment again, just by nature, like the way that they prepare is different. Nobody nobody sits down one on one to talk about like like in if you're a professional basketball player. Yeah, you might have some one-on-one conversations with your coach, but like you would never get on a call for an hour to talk about basketball. Like you'd be at the court, you'd be right. you'd have a ball in your hand, you'd you'd right. be you'd be playing in some way, like it, usually anyways. I'm sure there's exceptions to this, but it just kind of reframed the way that I thought about like preparing for for poker and oh. for training and and for practicing and and it I think helped me also work on like the skill set of of teaching a group or the skill set of you know communicating at different levels at the same time or or um yeah com- you know pulling people aside from a group setting those those kind of things um stuff you never experience in in poker coaching because it's so closed off right okay interesting well another uh non poker field and you uh, had mentioned it earlier uh is uh you ha- the other job that you had the other paying job was as uh, I guess yeah. a chef or in the food industry, um, you know, you wrote on your yeah, website I guess again, a, a prep cook or something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it says in my free time, I love to cook for my family and friends. I post some of my favorite home cooked meals on Instagram. Amazing pictures, by the way. Very, very cool. Um, you. How'd you get into that? What do you love about cooking and how did that almost steal you away from poker? <laughs> yeah, that is, that is pretty much what happened. I mean, I had like, I have to give some credit to my mom for, for being like a really involved home cook when I was growing up. I I didn't, I don't think that was like front of mind when I decided to pursue cooking myself as like mm-hmm. a serious hobby. But, um, certainly like that's, that's been something that her and I have talked about a lot more in recent years. Now that I'm actually cooking, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I've, oh, I've done it that way. Have you tried doing it this way? It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Have you, you know, have you ever worked with this? Um, so now there's that whole uh, I guess dialogue that we can have, which is cool. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm the, the, the natural progression and maybe like every person in their twenties goes through this, but like when I moved up to to Toronto with, it was me, three of my friends, we're just playing poker all day. We ordered takeout three times a day. Sure. We just sat in, we just sat in the house at the computer, you know, basically never moving, basically never cooking. At some point we hired in like a, like essentially a prep cook to come just prepare meals for us. <laughs> um, that was my life. Like I didn't touch cooking at all. Wow. Uh, and, but I was, I was very interested in like restaurants and you no, know, I, I just enjoyed eating out. That was something that, 
Um, I guess a lot of my friends in Vegas would have introduced to me the first couple of times that I went to Vegas, you know, going, experiencing fine dining, that kind of thing. So it was slowly, but surely I was like, okay, I'm sick of ordering Thai food for the, for the fifth time this week. Uh-huh. You know, let's, let's at least learn how to do some basic stuff. Okay. Um, and I had a, and I had a roommate who was pretty into cooking as well. Uh, his name's Tim and and Tim was, you know, we'd, we'd occasionally just buy some nice steaks and vegetables or whatever and, and make something simple, right? No, no advanced techniques sure. going on. But he started going to to classes at uh, at George Brown College, which was just walking distance from our from our condo. And he loved them. He said, like, it's amazing. Uh, I'm learning how to get better with a knife. Like knife skills are so, you know, this is helping me so much. Like you need to get better. And he's like trying to coach me a little bit. Like he's trying to teach me <laughs> knife skills and it's just not really happening. Right. <laughs> he's trying to like teach me techniques that he learned in class and it's not really happening. And then eventually I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go myself. I'll, I'll sign up for some night classes. This is maybe 2015 uh-huh. or so. Sign up for some night classes and they were just, yeah, I loved them. They were, they were so much fun. Like you, you just, you learn a ton. I, I like the practical aspect of it. Like sure. I, you know, I went to the university of Chicago. We, we had a, the the joke like the the uh it's not like a mantra but you get like t-shirts and stuff that say like oh yeah that's how it works in practice but what about in theory like (laughs) (laughs) the university of chicago like (laughs) dynamic is is to obsess about theory and to do nothing practical right so Uh um which is kind of what an economics degree is uh, (laughs) after after having experienced it so this was just the complete opposite, right? Like you're in the kitchen, the classes, you're, you're on your feet for four hours and you're working with, with pots and pans, you're working with vegetables, you're working with your knife. So it, it, it was just fun. Um, I was learning really quickly. I like learning things, you know, I like learning new things as well. Right. So I just switched to full time. Uh, and, and of course, when I switched to full time, I had to play a lot less poker. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it just overlapped with a time where I was like, I had been pretty successful in poker, but I was also feeling a little burnt out. Mm-hmm. So I had like the flexibility to take time off. I wasn't sure that I wanted to quit or like, you know, switch to being a coach or switch to being like a more casual player. I had no idea, but mm-hmm. I just knew that I was really liking culinary school. So I, I enrolled in a full-time program and I did that for two years and I coached on the side and I played yeah. a little bit during that time, but, but really I was just mostly doing that. Um, it was a ton of fun. And, and now it's just more working, now it's just more like, balanced, basically. Like you've got yeah, you still what, got that food bug in you. Yeah. What kind of happened at the end of the program was that you get matched with an industry partner. So you, you okay. get sent to like uh whether it's a restaurant or a hotel or a catering company or whatever. I ended up interviewing with a few, but but I went with a catering company. And I, I worked there for three months. And then after three months, the chef just like signs off and says like, yeah, they were great. And then you graduate. Um, and I stayed for an extra three months beyond that because I was enjoying it. Um, but this was around like early 2019. And at the same time, I started um, traveling for some live poker tournaments again. Yeah. And it just like the catering got really hard and, and like, it was, it was quite exhausting. And there was like a couple of events that I was just like, I don't know if this industry is really like, I like cooking, but I don't know if the industry is for me. Um, and at the same time I was going to these live poker tournaments and I was like, this is definitely for me. Like these games are incredible. The stakes are getting bigger. The prize pools are getting bigger. Like this, this is where I want to devote my attention. Um, so I just, I left the culinary, um, industry. If, if you can say that I was even really part of it and <laughs> For sure. uh, came, okay. came back to poker. So totally. now I just, I, I like to cook at home. I like to, you know, I watch a lot of 
food YouTube and stuff. I watch training content, basically. I, watch, I, mean, I was going to ask you if you watch like the, you know, the Gordon Ramsay and the Master Chef and all that stuff. I do like that stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of lately into the the people who do like independent recipe videos on YouTube. Oh, so like a, a lot of people who used to work for Bon Appetit have like their these channels and um, there's various test kitchens and uh, yeah, binging with Babish is always entertaining. Like there's all these U- YouTube food kind of uh, media uh, companies that give me good ideas, like recipes to try, and I have the technique, I guess, from school to just try whatever that they, they put on there. So that's, uh, yeah, I'm like, a, I'm a recreational, uh, chef and a, a, ser- a serious record player. Serious. Yeah. Ser- a serious recreational cook. Yeah. That's good. Well, I'm happy I ate before this conversation, but to those of you listening that before <laughs> a meal, I hope your next meal's uh, a good one. Uh, before we get into the, uh, the game plan, uh, your late, your course for run at once, I uh, just want to ask you that you did talk about, you know, now you're playing a lot more live poker. Um, you know, the prize pools are getting bigger and you're getting the lion's share of them. You know, you had your your first result in 2019. You had a second place finish at the Party Poker Million in Montreal, just under half a million dollars. You, you know, everything you said until now, it's like, OK, this is for me. You didn't mention the fact that you were winning. Did the fact that you were winning change anything tangibly or was it really just you love being in that environment and just, you know, again, sort of the same question as like the online, you know, does the money have any sort of effect or impact or is it just you feel alive uh, while you're playing? Yeah, it's still, I mean, it's still quite important, like just to, for me to generate income. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm not retired by any means. Right. Uh, So, so. For sure, it's important. And I think it was encouraging, again, that like, you know, I, I sort of take a leap into live tournaments and I had mm-hmm. relatively early success. Um, that said, like, I, I mean, live tournaments are funny, right? You you, you said my my first, I forget if you said first cash or first score or whatever in, in 2019. I remember 2019. I remember losing a significant amount of money before making that half a million <laughs> in that tournament. And then continuing to lose a whole lot more after that. <laughs> okay, so that's the context. Um, that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a it's what one of the reasons I imagine a lot of pro poker players don't strike up a conversation at the supermarket about what it is that they do because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's always it, you fair know play, yeah play. you won this but how much did you lose right so sure. the money matters for sure it's it's a it's it's a necessary motivator for me to keep showing up. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't think, nor do I, would I want to have coaching be my only source of income, right? Like, I, I don't think that that's practical. And that's also just not, um, it's not the path that I want to take. So it's, it's important to me to keep competing in, in the tournament space. Um, players are getting quite good. Yeah. And, and it means that I need to carve out a good bit of time for my own study and preparation too, because I mean, the, the buy-ins are going up and the guarantees are growing for sure, but also like the competition at the top of, of tournaments is getting very, very strong. Right. So I want to talk about two specific competitors. Uh, you had uh, one hell of a summer. Uh, you won a WSOP bracelet online. Uh, you defeated Patrick Leonard. Uh, and then you also mm. made it to, uh, this is a uh, 2,500 six-max event. Uh, and then you finished second in the 100K high roller at the WSOP to Michael Adamo, uh, 1.2 million score. Phenomenal. Uh, obviously great, like you said, and you know, I don't know the balances in my business, nothing like that. What I want to ask is about those competitors though. Um, yeah. you get to heads up. 
do you feel you know that it doesn't really matter who's sitting across from you, whatever their name is, whatever their Hampton mob and accolades, like, you know, I'm the heads up beast. I've been doing this for years. <laughs> I can get this guy no matter what, you know. I mean, sort of, yes. <laughs> I, I guess. Um and 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 just one small correction: the oh. the twenty five hundred World Series event was not a bracelet event. Unfortunately, oh. I'm still I'm still without a bracelet. That was my bad. Sorry, about no that. worries. Okay, but but yeah, like it it is kind of it, it's one of I guess like I've, I've I've had to learn to lean into my strengths a little bit, right? As as a player, because I I mean playing live even for an experienced player um, could be quite intimidating, yeah. especially if you spend most of your time online. Like it, it's just a different feeling, and it's hard to bring like all of the I guess, um, skill that you're capable of bringing when you're, I don't know, under the hot lights at the world series, mm-hmm, um, sure. sit, sitting across from someone who has a lot of accolades. Right. But, but really, uh, there's no place that I'm more confident in the tournament. Like, like the fact that I get to play heads up as part of tournaments is so novel to me because mm-hmm. I've played so much heads up and I've even studied tournament format quite extensively. Like there's, there's of course differences, but studied tournament format heads up quite extensively over the last couple of years. So like, I'm, thrilled when i get to heads up it, it truly does not matter who i'm playing against nice uh it, it would change my approach uh like i happen to know that patrick leonard is is quite good at tournament format heads up mm-hmm. um he had me guest appear in in his course uh on, on run it once yeah uh, last heads year heads, right? specifically to talk about heads up yeah and and when we went through the heads up material i was actually quite impressed by like the amount of preparation he had done for heads up and and the approach that he was taking for heads up was quite obviously like well thought out um and I saw that when I played against him, his approach was quite good. Uh, much better, I would say, than the average. I mean, yeah, top like top tier for a tournament player, basically, um, in terms of heads up play, which is not true about everyone. I mean, uh-huh. to, when I played Michael Adamo, we played about four hands of heads up. So okay. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't get to see that much, but I, you know, I do think he made a small mistake in one of those four hands. So that's that, that's a good that's promising for me if I'm <laughs> if I'm playing one of the best in the world and I feel like I spot a mistake in just a couple of hands. There you go. Okay. Well, you know, talking about the best in the world, of course, uh, you can't help but mention the 25k heads up. Uh, you know, the bracket tournament yeah. at the WSOP. Um, yeah. that's, I imagine, you know, I guess the, the, the premiere of the premiere, like the NBA level, whatever, whatever you have, you know, you have the best players in the world are entering that. It's not just, you know, yeah. usually not just someone just has 25 K laying on the side. What's it like going through? I mean, you made it pretty deep as well to the semifinals. What's it like, you know, I don't know, mind sweeping your way through that field. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that ex- that experience is one of a kind. I've I've played quite a lot of heads up tournaments before, and um, honestly, most of my tournament success before 2019 was just registering like the W Coupe heads up or like the S Coupe heads up or whatever event. Um, and those those fields are always it 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 really is tough competition. The format allows like heads up specialists, cash players, you know, any any good no limit player to just show up and compete. Um, at, a, at an extremely high level. And if a tournament player is going to come, it's because they feel really good about their heads up game, right? So so the people who show up there um, really, really know how to play for the most part. Uh, that said, I, I still I still like my chances and it's still really fun. And in, in the one you mentioned in the 25K heads up this, this past year, um, I got to play like first round, I get matched up with Daniel Negreanu. Which was which was quite hilarious because I had been following his heads up game so closely when he challenged Doug Polk and <laughs> then when he you know his his heads up 
play was actually quite well publicized and, yep. and I had, I had seen a lot of it. So that was kind of fun to, to actually be able to sit down and play against him. Um, and then I got to play Phil Ivy in the bubble round, which was just, <laughs> yeah, a whole, a whole different kind do of experience. You, well, do you have, is there that intimidation factor that does the mystique of oh, Phil yeah. Ivy affect you? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would have affected, like, so I think, you know, a different version of me who didn't get acquainted with Daniel Negreanu through his match against Doug Polk. Maybe that version of me is just as intimidated when I sit down against Daniel, you know, like there's just, there's certain players who have this like longstanding reputation in the poker community and especially their reputation for table presence, for making big reads, for, for making really strong decisions. And like, I don't have that yet. <laughs> like that's not, that's not why I'm good at this game. Mm-hmm. That's maybe something I could get, I could accomplish after 10 or 20 more years in, in, the field right but but that's not where i'm at right now right um so with with getting matched up against phil specifically it i don't want to say like blindsided me but it's it's just not what you prepare for when you're thinking okay what do i need to do you know what do i need to get ready for in this heads-up tournament i'm going to be playing a whole bunch of crushers that's a given but like to get to sit down against someone who's not only an excellent heads-up player but also like one of the greatest of all time live poker players um if not the greatest it, it feels different. I'd never played with him before. So it just, it just kind of catches you off guard. It's, it's hard to get comfortable. It's very hard for me to get comfortable. Right. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Now, not many people get to, you know, that's again, like, you know, you talk about he's won his 10 bracelets, you know, and other titles. So there's people who've played him heads up like that, but not many folks uh, get to say they've played heads up, you know, outside of you know, like this, the six max or the nine max or whatever it is. So it's a very yeah. cool perspective uh, to hear that from you. Uh, we don't have uh, an episode with Phil Ivy yet. Maybe we'll do that'll be, uh, I don't know, something really, really special if we ever get that. But uh, we did do an episode with Daniel Negreanu. It was the one right before you, episode number 100. So uh, you can right? feel free yeah. to listen to that as well. Maybe get some additional insight so you can mow him down uh, next time. <laughs> <laughs> next time in the heads of tournament. Um, nice. Who would you consider to be the toughest heads-up opponent you've ever played and won? Um, that's a yeah, that's a tough question to answer. I mean, there's there's been players who I found quite challenging to play against who I just didn't play for very long. Mm. Um, yeah, like I've I've played a small amount against Doug Polk. I've played a small amount against Linus Love. I've played a small amount against like OTB Red Baron. Like these are all players who I think, at least in the online world, are at, at were are or were at some point like top, top tier. Yeah. Um but I'm not really someone who's like swung for the fences in terms of playing against the the best of the best for an extended period of time. So I, I don't think it would be fair to say like oh they're the they're the people who you know who I couldn't handle playing against or whatever right. I just like never really gave that a fair shot I I assumed that they were some amount better than me I don't know how much maybe mm. a small amount maybe maybe a larger amount but more often my heads up games um were against like the the perceived second tier competition you might mm. say like like still playing for high stakes right if i'm playing online talking about playing 10 20 or 25 50 sometimes 50 100 um and i think the player that i mean it's 
this is probably going to be nobody to to 99% of people listening but but there's a there was a player uh who I don't even know his real name whose screen name was Mummy Poes M U U M I P O I S S Mummy Mummy whatever uh-huh. um and we played a lot so like the my my exposure to playing against this person was was extended right i, I got to know them quite well and she had a lot of and, notes <laughs> yeah and, and just like I was consistently impressed by how often like I would make the wrong assumption about what they were doing or, or that I would, you know, I think there were some things that they did quite well against me that just went unnoticed for a long period of time. And this is for, for reference, this is probably like 2014 to 2016 or so that we played the majority Uh um, of our hands against each other. But this was just an opponent who like, you know, again, they were probably never like top of the top tier they were quite successful. I think they went on to play big live games in Macau, but they, they were just someone who like consistently threw different stuff at me. Mm. And, and I like to stick to, to kind of like a, a more simple strategy. I, I, I like to stick to something that I know quite well. And he was just quite good at like breaking me out of that quite good at, at exploitative play basically. Interesting. Um, but it but had that right style to just every so often convince me that he was terrible like like <laughs> had that had that right balance of skill and and insanity that that you would see something and you'd be like that can't be good and then uh-huh. you know and then 2 weeks later you're down another 20,000 and it's oh, like gosh. okay well maybe it could be good i don't i don't i don't know exactly what's happening here so the, wow. that like he he sticks out in my mind i think there were a couple other players who sort of fall in a similar category right but there just weren't that many players who i played like in ex- over an extended period of time who just consistently got the best of me there was usually either more back and forth over time or it was just very clear from the beginning like i'm not interested in putting up a fight against this player gotcha. like they can you know they they can have their their rung above me on the on the hierarchy that's sure i mean game selection is uh, poker 101 you know there's no uh, you don't win any medals uh, just for for beating someone who's perceived to be better, you know, might as yeah. well uh, you know make your money against those who you know you can you can hold over. Um, yeah. Hopefully, a slightly easier question or one that'll make you think as well. One that we always ask all of our interview- interviewees: um, Who is the friendliest player that you've ever competed against, whether it's heads up or in a uh, full ring game? The friendliest player. I mean, I'll I'll just go with who came to mind uh, right off the bat, which was my my second opponent in that twenty five k heads up um, at the World Series, uh, Masato. I, I'm forgetting his last name off the top of my head, but oh, now he's I a, he's a Japanese uh, yes. YouTuber, sure. like, vlogger, streamer, whatever. Like he makes all the content. Um, he was super fun to play against. Mm. Extremely friendly, uh, even when losing. Like, I mean, I did beat him, obviously, uh, just like, just like super happy. And, and I mean, I, I can understand why he's, he's so good at creating content as a, mm-hmm. as a player as well. Um, because he just seems like genuinely super excited about poker and, and that comes through at the table and that's yeah. hard to fake, I think. Um, and, it, and after the fact, I'm, I'm even thinking like I ran into him at the, at a later tournament, like a couple weeks later in the series and he like orders bubble tea for me and like a couple of his friends. Nice. Like I, I beat him in the 25k and he's coming over and he's like, he's saying hi. And he's, he's buying, he's bringing bubble tea to the table. That's super cool. Uh, Uh, Masada Yokosawa is his uh, last name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Really, really great player. And really like just, yeah. Full of, full of good energy. I I like, um, I like knowing that people like him are like promoting the game to, you know, to some audience that 
I don't know, maybe a few of them follow me now because I think I had a couple of people come up to me who like, I could tell we're struggling through the English, but really just wanted to say like, I saw you on Masato's channel. Oh, that's like, so funny. You played against <laughs> each other and that, that's super cool. That is. Um, well, he's certainly yeah, got he's, quite he's the great. following. Um, I think he yeah. maybe also won Vlogger of the Year. I'm not 100% sure. But oh, I think is that he, right? I think at the GPI, uh, the last uh, installment. So uh, definitely a channel worth checking. I've, I've, again, I've watched a couple of them. Uh, you can't say I'm subscribed or anything, but uh, that everything you said definitely comes through uh, as far as uh, a love for the game. That's that's pretty cool. Great answer. Um, all right. Uh, before we get into the community questions, I promise we talk about the game plan. Uh, you know, let's go ahead and give us your, I guess, you know, 30 to 60 seconds, uh, depends on how tall the building is, uh, elevator pitch. Uh, who is this course for uh, over at Run It Once? And besides the fact that it's on a 25% discount uh, for a limited time, uh, why should they get it? Yeah, so the course is, is designed really for people who either like have or have thought about reaching out for coaching, not necessarily from, from me, but I modeled it pretty much for my typical like potential student. So a, a lot of people coming with questions that are like, I don't know how to use these tools. I'm overwhelmed with study options. I'm not sure where to go in, in improving my game. Just people who are feeling kind of lost or stagnant or, or what have you, right. In, in working on poker. And, and I guess this specifically about no limit. Yeah. Um, and it's not just for heads up players, but, but it is better for heads up players because I include a lot of specific strategy points about my heads up game in, in the making of the course, but really it's just meant to lay out and package like an A to B process to, to figure out what you're starting with, what you're trying to improve at, how to improve, how to use tools better, how to, how to tackle the, the, the daunting task of studying poker basically. Um, and then kind of how to evaluate progress, right? Like how to, how to feel, um, confident about what what your strategy is what your game plan is uh at the tables so yeah what you get with the course is uh first of all like a whole bunch of templates to go through the process that i just described uh and, and accompanying videos of course to to walk you through the process um but also if you purchase it before the sale ends on october 10th you get access to four live seminars nice. that i'll be starting uh the week after the sale finishes uh, and those are happening in the Discord community, which is also, you know, you'll be added to a Discord community exclusively for course members. I'm in there managing the whole thing. Um, so that's really like the 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 place to make sure that whatever process it is that you're that you're trying to go through, the the process that you kind of laid out through the course is uh -huh. is actually happening, right? Um, I think that study group component is really, really important. And it it, it would have felt would have felt wrong to leave that out because I know how helpful that's been for me in, in getting better at the game. Sure. Oh, that's actually the the follow-up that I wanted to ask. You know, like part of so much of it is developing the good study habits, you yeah. know, without giving away too much, obviously. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your own study habits. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if, if I was worried about giving away too much, I probably wouldn't have made so many training videos. Uh, <laughs> the, the, um, the study process for me is kind of like, um, I guess call it cyclical. So, so when I go to events, when I play a series, um, I'm taking notes on the spots that, that just kind of didn't sit right. You know, like not necessarily hands where I'm like, oh, I got to run that in a solver. I'm curious if it's like this hand or that hand. Like I, I'll, I'll do stuff like that too, but that's not really what I'm referring to. I'm thinking more like, 
a, a scenario that I found myself in where I was just like, I, I couldn't even come up with the structure. I couldn't even come up with like what I'm like, how I'm supposed to approach that situation. Um, so I try to keep a running list of all these things and then I move them, you know, when I get home or whatever, I move them to a place on my computer. That's just like a to-do list. Um, and maybe every two to three months I'll shift the top few items of that to-do list over to like a, uh, like an active study plan, right? Like, uh-huh. uh, like I, I move it from like the, the backlog to the, you know, during this two to three month period, this is what I'm going to solve. Like, right. this is what, I, these are the scenarios I'm going to, to figure out how it is that I want to approach in general. Um, so it's a lot more like, um, uh, zoomed out, I guess, uh-huh. than, than typical poker study is for a lot of people. And I, I do still use solvers to like run individual hands or whatnot, but that's just like, to me, that's a very small part of the process. It's more about like building big heuristics, like building a, a, a kind of, uh, an overarching, uh, strategy that helps me understand like, okay, yeah, whenever I'm in, you know, the, whenever I'm in this like out of position squeeze situation, the way that I want to think about it is this. And, and like, yeah. I, I want to know that when I sit down at the table next time, I'm going to be in that spot and I'm going to be able to like repeat that structure in my head and, and actually make sense of it. Sure. Well, the last question I've got before we move into the community questions, you know, folks have been, you know, hearing all about uh, all of the coaching you've done over 10 years, you know, clearly someone who uh, has proven his mettle at the felt both online and live. And uh, as a coach who continues to improve, continues to get tremendous praise, renown. Um, I don't think I'd be mistaken by saying that the game plan is probably your most ambitious, comprehensive, complex project to date. How long did it take you to put all of this together from, hey, let's make a course to the course is ready? So I guess I, I would say around the start of this year was when like the concept of making a course started to come together, but it it wasn't yet, you know, defined as like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be like a coaching methods course. Mm-hmm. That, that, that wasn't really, um, I think around January, I was probably thinking like, oh, I, you know, maybe I should make a heads up course. I was actually talking with, uh, collaborating. I, I don't want to say with who, because it fell through, but mm-hmm. we were, I was in talks with all sorts of ideas. I had lots of course ideas. I was, I was really big on like, I want to do training products. I want to do group coaching. I want to do seminars. Like I wanted to do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the specific idea for the course, I think came after a few conversations with the run at once team, uh, around March. And, and I probably spent like a solid month from there until, uh, when, when did I go? There was a series in Florida that I went to like early April, maybe. So like for a solid month in March, I was, I was working on, uh, a lot of the background content. Mm -hmm. And then when I got back from there, I was, I was like, so ambitious. I was like, I'm going to get home mid April. I'm going to do all the videos before the world series of poker. Just going (laughs) to just going to bang out like 60 videos. No problem. We'll have it all done by June 1st. We'll launch before the world series. of <laughs> Like, so obviously, you know, we're here now talking about the launch. It just launched two right. weeks ago. Right. Uh, so that didn't happen exactly, but you know, there's a solid five or six weeks there between the, the Florida series, um, and the world series. And that was all video production. That was all, um, finishing touches on like, I, I mean, I ran a lot of Sims for this course, like that takes more time than, than I realized it would. Uh, I built a lot of templates like Excel sheets and stuff. Formatting that takes longer than I thought it would. 
Yeah. Uh, there was still another two or three weeks after I got home from the World Series until I was like, okay, now it's actually done. Like now, <laughs> now we can start right. talking about <laughs> For it. For sure. I'm sure it feels good just to have the course out there, see, uh, you know, your, your, your name in print, so to speak, <laughs> see it all out there. Yeah. Uh, good yeah. stuff. All right. Well, guys, it's uh, now time we turn to the uh, next segment of the show. We turn to you, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Our first question comes to us from Chica Bonita, the recent winner, I believe, uh, of uh, the $100 uh, in the Daniel Negreanu episode for asking the question that he thought was the best. So uh, there's Chica Bonita for you. Uh, wants to know, Kevin, you like to cook. How do you feel about the national dishes of different countries? And do you have a favorite dish among them, perhaps? I this feel this feels like a quiz about what the national dishes of every country is. <laughs> I just yeah, read but... what they tell me. This what <laughs> the questions are. Yeah, of course. I mean, I I think that so in culinary school we pretty much just cook French food. <laughs> um, uh-huh. So a lot of the like a lot of the dishes that come to mind when I'm cooking, I feel like it's just either like Americanized French food or Canadianized. I guess if, uh-huh. if that's the the way it goes. Okay. Um, I'm, like. What? Perhaps the Canadian national dish is poutine. I'm I'm not really sure. <laughs> it's it's very good. I would only get it in Quebec. Uh, okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't get it elsewhere. But yeah, I I mean I can I can say more generally what I find myself like craving and wanting to make um, most often. I make a lot of like Thai dishes or like Vietnamese kind of style dishes. Just I don't know the the. The like fresh flavor and uh-huh. the and the um sometimes like cold dishes as well, like the like the temperature, uh the interesting temperatures I guess you get in those kind of foods, like that's uh some of the stuff that I like making the most or that I like eating the most. Do you have like a favorite uh, ingredient to use? Ooh. That's my I question. have this like <laughs> I mean, it's kind of it's becoming pretty common to have like I'm just thinking of a condiment that I put on everything. I have this like uh it's kind of like chili crisp. A lot of people talk about chili crisp, I guess, like chili oil with fried garlic and that sort of thing. But this one also has miso paste in it oh. and like sesame seeds. So it's this kind of, um, it's like a very savory chili crisp, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, I forget the brand name offhand, but it's very good. If you ever see like a chili miso uh, sesame oil based condiment okay. sitting around, uh, uh, excellent on everything. Well, uh, that's why like, I might, I'm not, I'm no big cook by any means, but like I'm Laurie's garlic salt. Same thing. It's good on everything, yeah. you know, just yeah. very simple. That was, like, nothing exotic. There. That would have been, that would have been my mom's answer. I think like uh-huh. there's a, there's a big jar of that in the, in the spice cupboard. Nice. I mean, at least when I was, when I was a kid, I remember, uh, yeah, being a big fan of that stuff. Cool. All right. Um, next one from Chica Benita. Are there any coaches or trainers, instructors in the poker industry whose careers or teaching methodologies you admire, do you have a favorite among them? So, I mean, yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm like, do I have to say that Phil Galfond is my favorite <laughs> <laughs> instructor after he says that I make his favorite videos? <laughs> I mean, he's great, obviously, right? And yeah. and and actually, speaking on methodology, like something that I appreciate about the YouTube content he's been doing lately is that he gets into a lot of like it's 
it's this like condensed explanation of methods around, you know, how he thinks about a certain situation, how he thinks about approaching uh, study, about exploiting, about live reads, whatever, like uh, mental, um, what did I see recently? He talked about like uh, uh, pitfalls is not the word, but um, like the, I think it was delusions. I think it was like uh, delusions of of poker players and stuff. So mental game stuff, right? Like he's he's hitting really practical um, concerns rather than just regurgitating strategy, mm-hmm. which I think is what I look for and and what I try to do myself is I I, tr- I of course talk strategy, but try to try to talk about practical um, implementation as much as possible. So I I saw that also I guess um, a previous podcast I was on uh, chasing poker greatness with Brad. Brad Wilson, Wilson, good guy. Yep. He takes the same sort of very practical approach that stood out to me the first time I talked to him. Um, I know that my friend Faraz does the same thing with with his coaching site. He's he's really good, I think, about just cutting to the core of like, here's what you need in live poker tournaments. Like, and yes, we're gonna talk about solvers and, and advanced strategy, but like not in a way that's so convoluted that that you know the the lay person can't understand it. So right. um I'm sure there's many more, but that's just like the gist of what I'm looking for in, in a quality coach. Cool. And you know, you did mention Faraz. I assume you mean Faraz Jaka. I don't yeah. know any of Faraz's, yes. but uh, that was episode <laughs> number 48. If you guys want to experience nice. a little bit more of uh, the Faraz uh, Jaka world. Uh, Asset Burn FX is our next and final question asker. Guys, don't forget to send in your questions uh, for our podcast guests. Uh, Asset Burn FX always asks some creative ones. Uh, Kevin, he wants to know, uh, what is the nicest act you secretly did for someone? The nicest act I secretly did for someone. I mean, I know that I've hmm, trying to think of something more unique than than just like making a donation that I didn't tell anybody about because <laughs> I've done that. Okay, um, that's fair. But. Yeah. If you can't, I have a follow-up. So nothing's like jumping to mind. Okay. I think, yeah, I mean, like beyond just a donation, I'm also thinking about like like a time in university when I, you know, like met a homeless guy who mm. who frequented outside of the the dorms and like had to go up to my room to go get him some money and some food. Like that's that's something that I don't remember telling anyone about, but also like not the nicest thing ever. Like I, I think that was um what a lot of people would have done had they mm. met the guy under the circumstances that i yeah. did but yeah i'm I'm curious your follow-up well my follow-up is uh what's your favorite cause to donate to mm. yeah um so i guess on the on the topic of like food like the food industry i i got to reading a lot of material about food insecurity and and mm. um other than, I, I mean, in addition to, I should say, just like food banks in general, um, I think I've probably donated the most of of the places that I have to the Good Food Institute mm. um, and and other more local organizations that that work on the same things. Basically, you know, whether they're uh, if if anyone's in Toronto, the stop uh, the stop food market is the other one, or the stop community market, I think they're called, is the other one that I've donated um, frequently to. Nice. But yeah, basically just or organizations that help battle like local food insecurity. Um, and they also, I think the Good Food Institute in particular, invest money into like more advanced things because they're they're a lot larger. So they, you know, invest money into research to to avoid future problems of this kind on a on a global scale. 
Good stuff. Like I don't, I don't ask that question of you know many, but like you know when it comes up, I do because I think you know there's certain questions you can learn a lot about a person. You know, like uh, sure. what are their core values, and like oh, well, you know, where is it that you put your money? You know, like, like mm-hmm. that, you, that you donate to. So that's a good answer. I like it very, very much. Uh, Acid Burn FX also wants to know, Kevin, who is the most interesting person you've ever met, and why? The most interesting person. I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting people in poker. <laughs> I don't know if I want to call one of them out. <laughs> <laughs> interesting is not a negative thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, huh. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to forget about someone particularly interesting. Oh, they're not listening, though. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. They're probably not. Um, yeah, most interesting. I mean, if if I'm thinking about, um, if I'm thinking about poker, actually, let's uh, can we cut some dead space? I'm actually going to give this some thought. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess I don't know about most interesting, but someone who comes to mind when I from like the time that I was in culinary school um was was one of my teachers who was just like obsessed with McDonald's. And 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 not obsessed with McDonald's in the way that that I mean like you know, just really wanted to enjoy a Big Mac or whatever, or like right. wanted to talk about how the, it wasn't sort of talking about how they were like the, the pinnacle of, of culinary food, but it was, it was this very stark contrast of like everything we did in culinary school was about high cuisine, you know, ama- amazing techniques, like the best ingredients, the best food. And then we would go to his class. I think it was like the math class basically. And he was all about, it was like, you, you need to look closer at what McDonald's is doing. If you want to understand like, <clears throat> business right like he's just kind of kind of insisting on presenting this like counterculture perspective i guess Mm -hmm. um and the culture was all like praise high food like praise expensive ingredients and he was like no praise efficiency like praise (laughs) praise quick service models like praise uh assembly lines and i was like this is i mean i get it but you just you don't hear that i i guess about um the food industry. Huh. And I'm, um, cause I was, I was thinking through like all the people who have taught me some, who like taught me something about food. And I was even thinking about the, the chef at the, at the, um, um, at the catering company, mm-hmm. who I think it was just like a really positive impact. And he was like a, like a great teacher and a great mm-hmm. chef, but, but more interesting, like through that whole period of my life, the, mo- the most interesting person I think was the guy who like once a week we would go and, you know, talk about stats, but then he would, just like derail the class to talk about uh, McDonald's and, and efficiency and, <laughs> that is and, amazing. and how like how important the fast uh basically the fast food industry is to food like that and, is interesting. And, uh, and like mall food courts and stuff uh-huh, like all sure. of, you know that whole part of the industry he was just like really it was, it was a good perspective to have I think I wonder if uh, he ever dropped this nugget or if you, if you knew it already that uh you know, the McDonald's, I believe, again, I, I think this is still true, makes most of their money not on food, but on real estate, uh, you know, because they own all the franchises. Do you ever talk to you guys about that? Uh, he did not specifically talk about that. I think I think his his angle here was just about like, you know, uh, if he's like trying to teach future restaurant owners or like future industry mm. professionals, it's like don't ignore the knowledge that you can get from 
from this segment. Right. Because, but I mean, that is also part of the knowledge, I guess, that you can get is that um, it's more profitable to to own the go. real estate than it is to, <laughs> you know, pay rising rent costs For sure. as, as part of your overhead. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. We'll do two more and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Asset Bird FX wants to know, Kevin, what unnecessary products or services do you consider necessary and why? Oh, which unnecessary ones do I consider? Great question, Acid Burn FX. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Um, I mean, I've I've got so many monthly subscriptions on the go, <laughs> and I and I've gone through three or four like iterations of trying to remove them all. Wow! And eventually, and and then just you know still being stuck with a couple, and then trying to remove them all. And still being stuck with a couple. Some That's of them are not by choice. Yeah, I mean, so, some of them like canceling your two dollar New York Times subscription is surprisingly difficult because um, it's just two dollars. <laughs> no one, no, like literally, they make it hard. Um, <laughs> they're very devious. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like of of those, and and it probably is completely unnecessary. I've never, I've never been able to bring myself to cancel like the uh, subscription to this recipe service that I have, hmm. which like hasn't provided me with new information in, in quite a long time, I'm sure. Uh, but it's it's just like to to have a trusted resource to go to for that thing that I do every day, right? Like I cook every day. It's a, this isn't like, doesn't have to be about cooking, right? But mm-hmm. um, to know that I've got like uh, uh, a standard, like a, uh, like a catalog of of all the answers that I that I need to all the questions that I'm going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's you know it's worthwhile to pay for that kind of thing. So maybe that would be like the equivalent of you know if if Wikipedia charged money instead right. of just asking for donations. Right. Like having, I would definitely be someone with a Wikipedia subscription, even though you know I I look something up like once every six months. Sure. Um, okay. Fair. Very yeah. cool. Um, I'm going to end off with this one. I love this question a lot. Um, so, you know, I've mentioned to you, you know, I get some help uh, from my good friends, you know, Heather and Mike uh, help me a little bit with the prep, uh, you know, uh, all, all the time, basically. And of course, we've got plenty of, uh, you know, my own questions as follow-ups. We've got plenty of questions from our wonderful community members. Uh, Asset Burn FX wants to know this one. I like this. What questions would you ask or would you have asked if you were the interviewer today instead of the interviewee? So in other words, is there something we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about? So this this is something I'm asking myself. Mm. Is as the okay, I get it. Um huh. Well, I probably I I I like your approach on on kind of steering away from, you know, the the specifics of of whatever um poker strategy and 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 thinking about more of like poker community and poker culture and that kind of thing i think i would have done the same i think uh something about something about poker culture hmm. like you know like like weighing not weighing in on like current events but weighing in on like something about poker culture i think would have been on my mind okay um I'm someone who occasionally gets into arguments on Twitter about, you know, women in poker and about and about language, use of language or whatever it is. Uh, you know, like that's 
those are those are nice topics i think to 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 broach every now and then they're not the most fun to talk about okay. necessarily but yeah i think i think maybe you know sneaking into a, to a perhaps heavy hitting uh poker culture question i don't know which one specifically but that that would have been um part like a, a small percentage of my approach as the interviewer interesting okay well duly noted perhaps uh, for part two someday in the future or someone uh, among our future interviewees guys i want to thank you sure. all for sending questions in to kevin rabbit chow and again a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the cards chat community we would love to see you submit your questions uh whether they are just you know more lighthearted or a little deeper as well for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you'd like the show. Before we let you go, Kevin, anything else you'd like to share uh, with the Cards Chat community? Uh, no, just, I guess, thanks for listening. Thanks for your questions. And you can find me at all the usual places with my full name, as as Robbie has already mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. Excellent. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for your time, Kevin. I appreciate it. And it's been a real blast getting to know you. It's pretty cool. Um, folks, I'm Rafi Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.